I'm Lucy Marcus, and welcome to Navigating the Vortex. On our radar this week, Summitry Continued, the EU and Central Asia, BRICS and Friends, and the European Political Community. Last week saw another three summits in quick succession. The foreign ministers of the BRICS countries met in Cape Town, South Africa. The European political community met at Mimi Castle in Moldova. And the heads of state of Central Asia and the president of the European Council came together in Cholpan Atta, Kyrgyzstan. None of these meetings produced much in terms of concrete outcomes, but even as mere talking shops, they are indicative of a geopolitical and geoeconomic flux and uncertainty. What it's about. The foreign ministers of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, collectively also known as the BRICS, met in Cape Town. Their joint statement emphasized a common commitment to challenge what is in the BRICS view, a Western-dominated international order often couched in calls to both strengthen and reform existing multilateral institutions like the UN and to promote, quote, a more agile, effective, efficient, representative, and accountable international and multilateral system. The three stated pillars of the BRICS, political and security, economic and financial, and cultural and people-to-people cooperation are not very different from the discussions at the second meeting of the European political community. Held in Moldova, in a not-so-subtle endorsement of the country's EU ambitions, the 45 gathered leaders discussed peace and security, energy and resilience, and connectivity and mobility in Europe. Intended as an informal policy coordination forum, there was no official communique and only a brief pre-meeting statement by the head of the European Council, Charles Michel, as well as an even shorter statement by him following a separate discussion he chaired between the leaders of Armenia, Azerbaijan, France, and Germany. The brevity of these two statements could be explained either with the secrecy, or perhaps vacuousness, of the discussions in Moldova, or with Michel's busy schedule as he headed straight to Cholpan Atta to the second EU-Central Asia summit. While this meeting did produce a more fulsome joint press communique, it was perhaps the one most devoid of concrete results, reaffirming intentions that had already been reaffirmed in a similar communique after the first summit on 27 October last year. Why it matters. As we discussed in our earlier piece, moving on from Ukraine-China-West relations between Jian and Hiroshima, which was on our radar on the 22nd of May, the war in Ukraine remains an important driver of the current flux and uncertainty in the international system, but not the only one. And it certainly gives rise to and exacerbates any number of other factors that add to the current conflagration of multiple crises. Last week's three summits are no different. The BRICS statement did not mention Ukraine, but noted, quote, concern about the use of unilateral coercive measures which are incompatible with the principles of the Charter of the UN and produce negative effects notably in the developing world, before doubling down by recognizing, quote, the impact on the world economy from unilateral approaches in breach of international law, and they also noted that the situation is complicated by further unilateral economic coercive measures such as sanctions, boycotts, embargoes, and blockades. 
A charitable reading here might consider the reference to, quote, unilateral approaches in breach of international law as including Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But the key point that permeates these and other passages of the statement is the concern about the economic impact of the war in Ukraine and the intensifying economic conflict between China and the U.S., an impact that is primarily borne by the global south, of which the BRICS consider themselves the leading voices, and which they also seek to shape more, including through a potential expansion of the format. The desire to remold the BRICS from an alternative to the G7 into an alternative to a U.S.-led global West that combines elements of the old Cold War Soviet bloc and the erstwhile non-aligned movement was particularly obvious in the, quote, friends of BRICS gathering on the sidelines of the summit in Cape Town. Not exactly or exclusively great company, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Cuba, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, Comoros, Gabon, and Kazakhstan were physically present with Egypt, Argentina, Bangladesh, and Guinea-Bissau, and Indonesia joining online. It indicates the potential attractiveness of enlarging BRICS to a wide range of countries. Our take. The BRICS are quite a bit off from being able to mount an effective challenge to the current international order. But that order is clearly in trouble and will change. Yet neither the U.S. nor China and their respective allies have a clear vision of what it might look like and above all, none that would be credible in the sense of accommodating whatever individual visions might exist and how they could ensure a return to some semblance of stability and predictability in international relations. This continuing uncertainty is neither cost nor consequence free. The costs are borne by many of the poorest countries around the world, and the global south is right to point this out. But we should equally not forget that a much higher and much more direct cost of Russia's aggression is borne by Ukraine and Ukrainians. The widespread sentiment of the global south that the war should end as soon as possible and regardless of the impact on Ukraine may be understandable from the perspective of a country like Indonesia, whose foreign minister proposed a new peace plan at the IISS Shangri-La Dialogue 2023 on the 3rd of June. But it is insensitive to Ukraine's rights and potentially endorses and encourages the flagrant violation of fundamental principles of international law. What's more, it's short-sighted. Never mind disputes in and near the South China Sea, including Indonesia's own Natuna Islands, and not only because such a stance effectively accepts Russia's territorial dismemberment of a sovereign neighbor, but also because it will likely have unintended and unwanted economic consequences. The G7 remain the world's most prosperous and powerful economies by some margin. As we covered in last week's podcast, the debt ceiling, symmetry, and corporate governance in Japan, or just follow the money, they now put significant emphasis on economic resilience, including the security of supply chains and the associated reshoring, nearshoring, and friendshoring. The implication here is clearly that you don't recommend yourself as a shore going so obviously against the Western understanding of the principles that should guide a just and sustainable settlement of the war in Ukraine. 
Yet continuing uncertainty also has consequences for the West and its allies. The EU, despite its focus on Ukraine, is also keen to consolidate its neighborhood, now referred to as wider Europe. One of the most notable outcomes of the European Political Community Summit in Moldova was a mini-lateral summit on the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan over Nagorno-Karabakh, which kept the momentum in the EU's mediation efforts alive. Were the Union to succeed in brokering a normalization between the conflict parties and even a peace treaty, this would have a significant and positive impact on supply chains along the middle corridor, including energy supplies from Kazakhstan. Speaking of Kazakhstan, here is an obvious example of the many countries that are still hedging their bets in the current turmoil. Courted by China, the country was present at the BRICS summit as a friend, while its president attended the EU Central Asia summit, signing up to the joint commitments made there, including, quote, to formalize and advance the implementation of the joint roadmap for deepening ties between the EU and Central Asia. This may be more limited than the plethora of agreements signed at the China Central Asia Summit in Xi'an two weeks earlier, but it does nevertheless indicate that nothing is quite set in stone yet when it comes to an emerging new geopolitical and geoeconomic order. Within this uncertainty, others are also hedging. China and U.S. relations may not have bottomed out quite yet, although the trip by CIA Director Bill Burns to Beijing in May for talks with his Chinese opposite number indicates that there are still high-level channels of communication. The refusal of the Chinese defense minister to meet his U.S. counterpart at the Shangri-La Dialogue was a new low in the recent downward spiral. Meanwhile, Beijing appears to be keen to court U.S. business elites as evident in the meetings that Elon Musk and Jamie Dimon, respectively the CEOs of Tesla and Twitter and J.P. Morgan Chase, were able to secure with the senior Chinese government officials last week. Perhaps, then, the direction of travel in the current upheaval is less clear beyond the seemingly confident statements uttered by leaders at the various summits that we covered over the past few weeks. This creates opportunities for governments and private sector organizations alike. Even NGOs like IISS with its Shangri-La Dialogue have a role to play in this kind of summitry. Ultimately, however... Summits are only as useful as their outcome and any follow-through, and what these are depends on the visions, skills, and determination of the political, business, and civil society leaders that attend them. Thanks for listening. If you're a subscriber, fantastic. We hope you'll share Navigating the Vortex with anyone you think might find it of interest, including on social media. If you've not signed up yet, you can do so for free at navigatingthevortex.com, and you'll get our free content and alerts when new articles, videos, or podcasts go live. You'll also be able to read the full written version of this and other On Our Radar pieces, which gives all of the background links to the reports and information we cite. You can also subscribe there for full access to all of our content, chats, and to be able to comment on the items there. Also, please follow us on your favorite podcasting platform to never miss a minute. Thanks again. Goodbye.